God, I hate the world of finance. I really don't like it. I was just thinking. And you know what's crazy too is on top of the part of the world of finance that everybody is supposed to hate because, you know, everybody jokes about it, how out of control Wall Street is, how it's rife with fraud. There's a whole other layer to hate that people don't even know about. You know, like, yes, you should like, you should loathe everything in the Keynesian system anyways, because most of it is nonsense and bullshit. But then there's a whole other layer of fraud too. And when you can see the second layer of fraud, that that's what's really disheartening. Like the entire global macro economy, how that's a fraud. We'll talk about that today with Lawrence Lapard. Hello, welcome to the QTR Podcast. This podcast, first and foremost, is brought to you by my patrons. I want to shout out my patrons. I've had a couple of new patrons since my last podcast with Montana Skeptic. I appreciate you guys very much. Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. I'm going to shout them out, and then we're going to get on with the damn show today. We'll make this intro quick because I don't feel like doing any bullshit today. First and foremost, how about my exclusive gold and silver providers at JM Bullion? Gold now again getting ready to approach $1,900 an ounce with the volatility in cryptos. It's a great time to take a look at bullion. If you haven't, JM Bullion makes it easy for you. You can email Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at jmbullion.com. She is there exclusively for QTR podcast listeners. If you guys want to order gold, if you want to talk to her about inventory, if you have any questions about ordering. And then, of course, you can always go to jmbullion.com. The link is in my podcast description. You can follow them on Twitter. Tell them QTR sent you. They will make sure that you get taken care of. JM Bullion has done uh, over, I think, over $3 billion in sales. They've been in business for a decade now. Uh, They're a very reputable gold and silver dealer. They're the only place I buy my gold and silver bullion. So check out JM Bullion if you need gold and silver bullion. And if you don't, just check them out anyways. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at the Sanglucci Steam Room. Sanglucci, Wall Street Jesus are the OGs of flow. That's what their website said. Took a look at their new website yesterday. I think it's wallstreetjesus.com or the Steam, whatever the Steam Room's website is. The link is in my podcast description. It's really nice. But they, they call themselves the OGs of flow. And I was just thinking, I think I came up with that term on my podcast. I think they stole that from me. So if so, we're going to have a uh, copyright infringement case on our hands, Mr. Lucci, Jesus, and Bathgate. Regardless, the Steam Room is the best piece of software available to track money coming into the illiquid options market and into the market overall. It gives you insight into tape reading, into market psychology. These guys have been doing it for a decade. They're honest people to work with. I like them as people. I like them as business people. I like the piece of software that they provide. They'll let you try it for 30 days free. Check out the Steam Room. The link is in my podcast description. Or find Lucci and just tell him QTR sent you. He'll make sure that you get taken care of, I promise, if you want to check out the Steam Room. The same goes for the next two services that I'm about to happily hawk. First is George Gammon's Rebel Capitalist Pro, which is an incredible forum and gives you access to George Gammon, Lynn Alden, and Chris McIntosh for live Q&As every single week. There is a wonderful community of like-minded thinkers there, people that have an Austrian school outlook that are skeptical on central banks that talk about anything and everything that I don't get into depth about on here because I'm too busy drinking, making obscene jokes, and generally not caring. George Gammon covers it, and that's why he's got 300,000 YouTube subscribers and I only have 16,000 because 
He's actually producing content, and I'm over here just fucking around. <laughs> Rebel Capitalist Pro is an awesome platform. George will give you a free trial. Reach out to him. That link is also in my podcast description. Finally, last but not least, my dear friend Pete Hedgetus over at the Trader's Path. If you're looking for a day trading community, you want you know if you're an active trader, you want to surround yourself with people that are also active traders, people that uh, you know bring up everyday daily watch lists. They're looking at options. They're looking at stocks. Uh, they are looking at different types of chart setups. Pete Hedgetus leads the Trader's Path, which has been a supporter of the podcast now for a while. It's a great community over there, and Pete is a wonderful guy, somebody who, all these guys, I can endorse them as people, not just their products and or services. So check out the Trader's Path. The links to all those guys are in my podcast description. I guarantee you, reach out to any of them, tell them QTR sent you. They're going to hook you up with a free trial. The exception to JM Bullion, if you uh, if you email Laura, I'm sure she'll be able to get you taken care of, though. However, this podcast also brought to you by, where's the fucking list? Killing time here. Here it is. Corvus Gold, my friends over at Traders for a Cause, my favorite charity. Ken R., Chris B., Nicholas Barks, Parks, fuck shit, sorry, Nicholas. Nicholas Barks, maybe he does bark, I don't know. Maybe he's a freak like that. <laughs> Matthew Zimmer. Jay Mincemeyer, Russ Valenti, Crichton Titus, Camila Sol. How about some of my newest patrons? How about Mr. Q checked in today? What's up, brother? I appreciate that very kind donation. Thank you very much, Mr. Q. Gregory Endres, Zach Hansen checked in. My buddy Tony A. and Forrest Hendricks are both in the house. Of course, we can't forget Chase the Disgruntled, Jimmy John's Driver, Walter Warch, Will Frise, Jacob Lowry, James Haas, Eric Bartline, GMP, Daniel Roby. Thank you guys so much for your support and some people that have been with me for a while like CJ Carey and uh, my friend, uh, who is my friend? Where's my friend? Where's the goddamn list? What is, it's really a Bush League operation over here. My friend Mason Larabina, thank you for your continued support. Chris Karhoff, Dylan, and my friend, uh, how about Cynthia Yeager? Thank you so much for your continued support. Okay. This podcast has a three-drink minimum. This is not investment advice. I hold no licenses, no registrations. I am not an investment advisor. You really honestly shouldn't listen to anything that I say whatsoever. Otherwise, you'll be pay- wind up paying very bad consequences. Just check out the reviews to my podcast if you don't believe that I'm full of shit and I have nothing of value to offer because the reviews will show you that. And if you uh, are equally... Uh, as uninspired by the podcast, make sure you go to the iTunes store and rate this podcast one star, one out of the available five. Folks, I would ask for zero if it would let you do it, but but it won't. Make sure you go rate me one star and tell the world how it was the worst hour of your life. With that being said, we're going to class up the joint a little bit today. I have uh, Lawrence Lepard on the line with me, and Lawrence Lepard is a, well, I met him through email because he was a listener of the podcast, and then he sent me a message I don't know, like a year ago, saying, oh, I'd love to come on if you'd love to have me on, which I put into the folder of all other messages that I get that are like that, which is the trash. No offense to you, uh, Lawrence, but uh, I get a bunch of them with people just trying to like, oh, I have tremendous insights on this side or the other. So people are always saying, oh, I could come on. I'd be a great guest. And then, uh, you know, I I always saw you on on the patron list. You've been a patron of the podcast for a while, so that should go to show people that you can't buy your way into the podcast. But then I heard you on—I <laughs> heard you on Palisades Gold Radio, which is one of my favorite podcasts. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, I routinely have a long drive. I put that on during one of my drives, and I was like, "Wow, this guy's wonderful." 
He really gets what he's talking about. He's well-spoken. He understands what's going on. And uh, and so then I decided, all right, this is going to be one email. I'm unfortunately going to return, I think, a year late. But I am happy <laughs> to have you here. Lawrence Lepard is a partner at uh, Equity Management Associates. He's got 38 years' experience in the industry. He's got a Bachelor of Arts from Colgate's and an MBA from a little community college called Harvard Business School. Anybody ever heard of it? What's going on, Lawrence? How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm hardly going to class up the joint, and I uh, appreciate you bringing me on. I uh, certainly understand you get a lot of requests, and um, I've been a longtime supporter of your podcast. I love I love your point of view. I think we're, we're brothers uh, in terms of how we view the world these days, and it's a mess. But um, thanks for having me on. It is a mess, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's sad. It's really sad. And, you know, people get mad at me saying things are going to get bad, and they are probably. And I said, look, I didn't, you know, I didn't set up this table. You yeah. know, talk to uh, talk to the people who created the system and continually, you know, corrupted the system. I mean, getting rid of Glass-Steagall. I mean, the, the list is long. I mean, it goes back to the creation of the Fed. But and what a, what a, what a corrupt, broken system we've got. And to me, you know, the right answer is to is to just, as uh, as Ben Hunt would say, you know, blow it the fuck up, you know, burn it the fuck down. I guess he has BT BTFD. I mean, it, it's you know, <laughs> is that what right? that BTFD I mean, stands for? Yeah, I think so. I think okay. I think that's right. I mean, it's look, it, it 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 needs to it needs to be restructured massively, and uh, you know, fortunately, in 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 the great wisdom of of the higher power, um, you know, destruction of fiat currency ought to do it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> when you make the money worthless, uh, you know, you're going to get some serious reform. Unfortunately, you're going to get a lot of other bad stuff, too. And people accuse me of rooting for the bad stuff, which I'm not. But I'm rooting for the good times that are on the other side of this fourth turning completing. So yeah, and I, you know, I think we're, we're getting there. It's right? sad when people pin you as, you know, a doomsday sayer just for what I think is having a very clear view on reality. There was I was listening to Kitco doing a bull bear debate yesterday on another podcast as I was doing the very same drive I heard you on. And the bear had to preface his whole argument by saying, uh, you know, I'm not a pessimist. Uh, right. I, you know, I, I don't, he would say it. He had to say, I don't hawk any products. I'm not selling gold. I'm not selling, you know, ammunition. I'm not selling end of the world type stuff. And he, he was somebody that has decades of experience in the industry, but he just said, you know, Politically, the country is probably the most divided he's ever seen. Obviously, I mean, it seems clear to everybody except the Fed that we're on a uh, we're on a course here with monetary policy that's going to lead to some terrible ramifications. And then the question comes, is there going to be a bipartisan way to address those problems? And he says no. And, and he you know, that was really his argument for being bearish. So, so just to what you say, right, is it? I mean, it, it sucks. You don't want to come off as a pessimist. And, of course, the, the bull, uh, Larry, came on and said, well, it's, he opened his argument by saying, it's just nicer to be a bull. I'm just an optimist. You know, and it's like, that's nice, but you can't be an optimist when the plane is heading directly for the fucking mountain. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, it's like that, that cartoon where, you know, um, comfortable lies and, you know, difficult to hear truths and everyone's in line for the comfortable lies, right? It's, uh, it's sad. And... Um, you know, but I, I am very optimistic, really, in the longer run. And I, you know, I think that in general, the average human being is a pretty good person, just wants to, you know, go to work and do his job, make some money, take care of his family, the people he loves. 
And I, you know, the one thing that these elites have going against them is there's just a whole lot more of us than them. And we can just stop the, the notion that they can divide us and get us fighting with each other versus fighting with the guys that are doing it to us. Um, that'll be a very big positive. I think that's going to happen. I mean, I just, I, I really, you know, it's going to suck in a lot of ways, but you know, I've studied a lot of hyperinflations and when you come out the other side, things get repaired pretty quickly when you go to sound money. I mean, if, you know, if we can stop a shooting war and all the stupidity that has occurred in, in other fourth turnings, you know, the assets will still be here. The people will still be here. The technology will still be here. You know, there'll be some pretty good stuff. And, uh, we just, you know, now the, who has the assets is going to change and it should, you know, the gold and, and sound money people should have all the marbles. And, you know, frankly, I'd much rather be ruled by gold and sound money people than by the criminals we've got in the, in the establishment today. So, you know, is there going to be a lot of difficulty in the interim? Sure. You know, but the average, I mean, to the average person who doesn't have a lot of assets, doesn't necessarily have a lot of debt. You know, I mean, if you're a plumber and you know how to plumb and, you know, you, you got an honest job, you can do an honest needed service. Guess what? It'll be it'll be a tough transition, but you come out the other side, you're going to be doing just as well, probably better, right? Because you know your service will be needed, you know what you're doing, etc. I mean, the people will get hurt. Obviously, the people who are retired and can't you know can't rebuild, and they get they got a you know laddered bond portfolio will look out. You know, and that's going to be really sad. But um, you know, it, it is what it is, and you know, we didn't set it up this way. You know, I I've always considered myself just an analyst. I I like trying to figure out how stuff works. And, you know, you look at, you analyze the system and it's just, it's overwhelmingly obvious that we're getting very close to the end game in this, in this whole fiat, you know, joke that they've been running. So, you know, it is what it is, right? Well, what is the, what is the, I mean, so is hyperinflation a 100% inevitable situation that we're going to reach? It kind of feels that way to me. It kind of feels that way to me, but let me say that they've got other alternatives. I mean, so so there's, you know, the, the core of the problem, right, is there's too much debt to GDP. Right. And, you know, they could pull a Roosevelt. I mean, and, and this is what they should do, in my opinion. I mean, I think a ton of people are going to get hurt, obviously, the way it's going. You know, to my way of seeing it, we need the bottom line. The, the fundamental thing we missed is we got away from sound money. So we need, you know, it's my Twitter handle you know, or my Twitter thing says, you know, fix the money, fix the world. I really believe that. So if we go back to sound money, you know, a lot of things get better really quickly, in my opinion. And. So, but you can't go back to sound money today. Can't back the dollar with gold at this price because there's not enough gold to cover all these these dollars commitments, you know, debts and liabilities. So, you know, Roosevelt did this and took a 75% whack in one day in 1933, and we got to do it now. I mean, it's you know, we should they should revalue gold to you know fifty thousand dollars an ounce, and um, you know we'll see massive inflation. You've been listening. You've been listening to George Gammon, have you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm with George totally. He's he's brilliant. I like George a lot. Never met him, but I mean, I like his podcast a lot. So yeah, it's um, we should we should do a reset and get back to sound money. I and think that's that's the the least painful way to do it. Now, could we go to hyperinflation? Yeah. Could we go to high inflation for a while? Yeah. I mean, this is like it's like a band aid. You know, we we just got to tear the damn thing off. I mean, I, and of course, you know, the people who are in the power power seats are going to avoid that as much as possible because all of the things I'm discussing are incredibly bad for their for their racket. And so, you know, they're going to they're going to lie and they're going to delay and they're going to do everything they can do. I mean, I think it's hysterical watching these bond bond market elites, as Luke Groman calls them, you know, sit there and whine about the fact that, you know, they're, they're about to get roasted. You know, <laughs> I mean, Larry Summers and Rick Ryder and some of these other guys are, you know, they, they can see what's happening. I mean, 
look, you, you create all these fake promises. You're not going to be able to live up to them in real terms. You know, uh, the bond market is the bond market is walking dead. I mean, first of all, it's not really a market. It's a no, it's, it's a policy not. tool. It's a policy tool that the government has used to hose people. And, you know, we got a frog in there that's getting boiled by negative real rates and frogs about to get boiled even more. And pretty soon they're going to jump out of the market. And they're, I mean, people say, how can hyperinflation happen here? You know, you don't have this isn't the 70, 73, which, you know, I was a teenager then. You know, you don't ha- you don't have the oil embargo. You don't have wage, you know. Uh, pressures from the unions well what i say is no you don't but what you do have is you have the bond market and when the bond market looks you know at at raising rates and raising inflation at the same time and says holy shit you know i'm not getting paid for this stuff i'm out of here and the fed looks at it and says well if we have rising rates we know what's going to happen there we're going to get a repo blowout or what we got in q4 2018 then you know the bond market's going to look at the fed and say sold to you fed you know here's the whole damn thing and the fed's going to say okay great we'll buy it Oh, but what are we going to buy? Well, we're going to buy it with printed money. Well, you know, you think the the forty percent that we printed in the last year and a half is a big number? Wait until it goes up three hundred percent, and that's that's hyperinflation. I mean, that's that's it's a massive Gresham's law like event, and uh, you know, it, it feels to me like it's coming. It it you know it came in the seventies on a much smaller scale when you know debt to GDP was twenty or thirty percent. I think those are the right numbers. Could be forty, but it's a lot lower than one thirty today. And, uh, you know, Invoker came in and put rates to 20%, almost put my father out of business. He had a big inventory that he had to finance at Prime plus something. And, um, you know, it's, uh, we recovered. I mean, they, they restored faith in the dollar. But I remember, I remember my grandfather in 78, 79 saying, holy shit, the dollar is going to be worthless. I mean, at the rate we're going, the dollar is going to be worthless. And, you know, eventually, I mean, obviously we had the Volcker solution, but that's not possible today, as we all know. So. No, it's not. Yeah. So it's going to have to be and and the idea that they're going to do something like uh, peg the dollar to gold again before they're it's absolutely necessary. I think there's zero percent chance of that happening. I, I agree. With I, I think there's they no just, political will for that. None. Right? Not just political will. I mean, they there has not been one example of this central bank doing the right thing ahead of time. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, at least in the last 20 or 30 years. I mean, you know, if I were to tell you that the uh, the S and P. I mean, even just in March of last year, you know, think of in March of 2020 when the market crashed. Yep. If I were to tell you that the you know the S and P was over 4,000, the Dow was at 34,000. You know, employment unemployment was down to six percent from 10 percent. Would you would you say all right? Well, you know, you'd have to kind of start discussing some tapering. You know, they just can't do it. They're just dickless. No. They're cowards. They you know, nope. they're ignorant. They don't understand the and it's just so easy. It's so easy to just take the easy way out. And that just yeah, they're all go ahead. Yeah. No, they're all just taking the bribe. Right. You know, taking the bribe and kicking the can down the road. I mean, you know, um, Jay Powell got an award from his alma mater. It's this isn't well known, but I saw it somewhere that uh, you know, every year they give out an award to the one graduate of Princeton who was made the greatest contribution society in the last year, and he won it. I, I just, I, to me, that's just hysterical. I mean, he, you know, he's he's basically destroying the dollar. Yeah. And, um, you know, and they're handing him out awards. I mean, I can't wait until all these guys are right in the law book or in the you know history books with with John Law and Gideon Gano and Rudy von Hammerstein and everybody else because that's what they are really. I mean, it's this is all just a big free money lie, and. Um, 
you know, it's it's going to end the way it always does. I mean, the, the analogy I've always used and like to use, because I think it's apt, is to say, you know, these guys jumped off a very big building and think they can fly. Right. And, you know, we're now passing the lower floors. Right. Uh, yep. You know, and uh, it's not going to end well for them. It's really not. And, I, you know, the pace of it's accelerating too, right? I mean, 2008 was the kickoff. Well, 2000 was a mini kickoff, but they relit the housing bubble. 2008. You know, they relit the everything bubble. And, and now, you know, who's going to save us? I mean, we can't relit, you know, there's nothing above the sovereign debt and sovereign currency level. We haven't had one of these since the 30s, you know. And and when they happen, basically everything gets wiped out. And, um, you know, what you want to own is you want to own gold. I mean, that's, that's simple. It's, you know, so it's, uh, yeah, it's it's sad. It's sad that these people aren't smarter and they will not do something until they are forced to do it. However, I suspect privately some of them are already doing it because they're not stupid. I mean, I, I deal with guys I went to business school with and Goldman Sachs partners, other guys, and you know, they, they see it. I mean, they know they're buying gold. They're buying, you know, they're buying inflation hedges. They get it. I mean, it's, um, you know, the, the, the Fed can say whatever it wants to say, but the smart money is looking through. Well, here's a perfect example. Sam Zell, very, very smart guy. Yep. Never a gold guy, right? right? You know, billionaire based on smart real estate investing. You know, talking about how, based on what he now sees, you know, he's, he's a gold guy and he's buying gold. You know, um, it's it's just uh, it's obvious to me. But it's surprising that they've managed to hold it together as long as they have. I mean, the March thing surprised me. Um, and if you told me we'd be at all-time record highs in a lot of these stocks, I, I'd have thought no way. But you know, to me, that's that's the hyperinflation beginning. I mean. Yeah, you know the Venezuelan and Zimbabwe stock markets did extremely well too, in nominal terms. Right. So, right. you know, um, so. But that's part of the problem is most of the most of the population of the country doesn't even understand nominal versus real. You know, they right. They can be right. losing five percent a year in real terms and be think that they're killing it. You know, we get we, we get ten percent inflation and and their you know the value of their assets could be rising five percent per annum and and they're not getting any wage increases and they think yeah, that, it, they think that they're you know uh, they think they're in the midst of prosperity and that's that's what makes the whole scheme very nefarious is and, yes and, and yes. the more and more I talk to average people about these types of things the more it's obvious to me that they they just they don't know. I mean, I I talk to friends of friends. I talk to people that see me out in the bar in Philadelphia, working class guys, welders, like you said, plumbers, people, you know, service industry people that ask questions and, you know, and or try to just engage in dialogue about it. And and they don't know. They just they're just not there. And it's not their fault. They're not sitting around all day trying to fucking figure out economics they're trying to trust that you know the central bank and the government has things under control they're they're trying to actually produce things they're you know some of the few producers yeah. left in the country that are yeah. out there building things and fabricating things but yeah. some of them never even get it some of them never even understand how the whole con works yeah it's it's interesting though they fall into it they're, they're I've, I've observed you know the people in the country in general i think fall into a couple of buckets i mean you're either believing the narrative and, you know, just going along. And, and, and I've seen that, you know, in billionaires, I've seen it in hundred million. I've seen it all the way up and down the whole strata or you don't believe the narrative and you know, something's wrong. And I actually, I kind of use my litmus test for it is, you know, what do you think about the, what do you think happened with JFK? And if you, if you get what happened there, you begin to see that the narrative has got holes in it all over the place. And 
I've actually experienced at the at the blue collar level, and maybe it's just you know the people that I I you know work with and interface with, but I've experienced at the blue collar a lot of people who do get it. I mean, guys who are painters and guys who are plumbers and 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 so forth who are like, yeah, you know, I know this whole thing's a sham, and basically when I got any savings, I go buy silver coins. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I got a I got a I got my my handyman, you know goes and, and I mean every single excess dollar he gets he converts into silver coins yeah he's got junk junk bags and whatever and he just says you know I know someday this is my retirement I'm gonna be fine yep because they, they just can't print their way out of this you know so now maybe he's an odd handyman I, I would submit that you know probably there aren't many guys like him but I've seen he's not the only one I, I've, I've encountered half a dozen or more uh, who you know say to me oh yeah no I get it you know this if it can't go on forever it's gonna end and it's gonna end badly and you know, everybody, everybody with kind of a thinking mind can just, you know, you can draw the natural conclusion that if you print something to excess, it's going to have less value per unit. Right. And that silver and gold can't be printed to excess. You know, there are natural limits on the creation and therefore, boom, you know, problem solved. So, but, but you're right. The average person is just trying to put food on the table and can't think about it. It's, uh, it's tragic. It's really, really tragic. And it's further tragic that, People who should be, you know, there used to be, or maybe there's never really truly been, but there ought to be a press, you know, a, a press, you know, that that reports on things and asks the difficult questions, and is pointing this out to people. And of course, that's really not there either. I mean, there are very, very few examples of that. You know, it's having said all of that, the the beautiful thing about what you're doing and what's going on in general with Twitter and everything else is that you know, for very low cost. You know, we're, we've got alternative media today. Right. And, you know, everyone's losing faith in the mainstream media. I mean, you know, Judith Miller, you know, lies about weapons of mass destruction to the New York Times. I mean, New York Times used to be the paper of record. I mean, I, you know, I trust your podcast a whole lot more than I trust the New York Times. And, <laughs> you know, and I think a lot of other people do, too. And, and, and as that goes on, you get into the situation where you just can't piss on people's legs, say it's raining. You right. know, people are going <laughs> to say, no, you know, fuck you. That's a lie. You know, and that's and that's coming out and it's being seen widely. And that's a that's a beautiful thing because eventually the numbers will overwhelm them. I mean, to me, in fact, that's the biggest thing that I see going on right now. And I'm so excited about it is this whole tipping point theory that Malcolm Gladwell talks about. You know, when you get to kind of 10 percent of the population really understand something and it's an obvious it's true, but it's not understood you know, then it really quickly accelerates to where everybody understands it. I mean, I think I think our grandkids will one day say to one another, you know, what, what were these guys thinking? How could they possibly think that oh, printing money was going to make everything better? Of course. You know, they're freaking idiots, right? I mean, nobody would believe that, right? I mean, they were the dumbest humans around. But, of course, as you know, everybody does believe that today. But I think we're getting close to the 10% who understand that something's wrong and that, you know, who kind of see it. You know, I mean, look, you see it, I see it. Everybody who's hardcore, you know, on, in, in, in our world sees it. But that's always been a kind of a 1% or a 2% number. It's getting bigger. I don't know if it's at 10% yet. I don't know if it's at 6 or 9 or or maybe it's at 12 and we're on our way. But it's getting bigger. And I, I'll tell you, the measure I use that where I think it's going to get really interesting for you, me, and everyone else is doing what we're doing is when we take out 1900 again. And every Because I've got – I deal with gold mining and gold mining stocks. And the consensus view in the gold mining, gold mining stock world is that, well, yeah, we did 1900 in, in 2011. Okay, we did a little over 1900 in the summer of 2020, but that was because of the COVID crisis. Now the COVID crisis is over, and you know what? Gold's going back to 1500. 
Okay. You know, it's, it's over. I mean, gold is going back to 50. I mean, I've, I've encountered that a lot in potential investors in my fund. And so when gold takes out 1900 or 2000 again and, and starts squirting up to 20,000 or 20, you know, 2300, 2400, people are going to go, Oh fuck. Yeah. Well, that's no, the breakout, right? We're, we're not, we're not going down again. Oh shit. And you know, yeah, that's the breakout, right? And you look at how breakouts go. I mean, you know, you can easily squirt up to two X where you were, right? Well, oh yeah, well, price. because this 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 the psychology right. behind taking out the highs, exactly, and, and going to twenty two, exactly. twenty three hundred is it's it, going to be like this aha moment. I mean, right now exactly. we're, we're mired in this attitude exactly. where it, it's kind of a perfect storm. You got all the Bitcoin Bitcoiners kind of claiming that gold is obsolete. We know that that's not true. You know, mm-hmm. but that's a narrative that's out there. And also to go back to your 10% kind of waking up thing, I was talking to Andy Schechtman on number 246 about yeah. how uh, important the Bitcoiners are playing, how important of a role they're playing in at least getting the idea out that that fiat is fucked and, and you know, being critical Absolutely. of the Fed. But, but I think, um, you know, we're mired in this attitude right now of, well, it's just, you know... We still haven't really seen the inflation, and if we do, it's kind of transitory. I mean, despite the perverse, pornographic amount of money and, you know, the the increases to the Fed's balance sheet, which is now over, you know, $8 trillion, despite all that, because because 2008, quote-unquote, worked, and we didn't see, you know, we're mired in this mindset, like, it can't happen to us. It just right. can't happen to us. And if it doesn't happen to us, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to talk over you. But if it doesn't happen to us, then there's no reason to pivot into gold. And when, when that psychology starts to turn, if CPI ticks up and gold goes to 22 or 22.50 and it takes out that high, it's going to be like, oh, like it is possible. And where do we go? Right. Where do we right. go? And then it's like exactly. fucking Katie bar the door. Exactly. Then, then it's going to be really game on, and there are going to be a ton of people who realize they're on the wrong side of it. And then I'm going to I'm going to quote some numbers, which I've quoted in all my podcasts, so it's redundant for some people. But it's important to understand there's about $400 trillion of financial fiat stuff. Okay, and when I say that, I mean debt, equity, you know, all the paper, uh, dollars, you know, everything, bank deposits, yeah, about $400 trillion of that shit worldwide, okay? In terms of actual sound money stuff, and you know, in, in that I'm including gold, silver, and Bitcoin. I know some people argue with me on the Bitcoin, but I actually think it is a sound money solution. Um, there's there's probably you know, well there's there's gold of, of 10 trillion, but really a lot of that's not tradable. A lot of it's either in antiquities or central banks, or it's you know it's in jewelry around women's necks that you know will, will probably be melted down at a hundred thousand dollars, but they're not, it's not going to get melted down today. So, so there's probably four trillion of tradable gold today. And then you take the gold stocks and Bitcoin, a few other things. You're kind of at five or six trillion total, what I would consider obvious sound money alternatives. Another one is real estate, which, of course, is why everyone's buying up houses, because they can you know, borrow 30-year money at 3% and get a real asset. I mean, that's a no-brainer, right? But, but the point is, you know, when that 400 trillion starts to say, shit, there's inflation and I'm getting diluted here. I need something that's going to protect me against that. That some piece of that 400 is going to trace chase that six and it doesn't have to be a lot right i mean it's not the, you know i mean it could be a lot if the whole 400 traces the six you know everyone who owns gold and silver is going to be we're going to be the richest people in the world but but even if it's a smaller part even if it's only 10 percent says hey we got to go over there that's 40 trillion dollars right. chasing six trillion of assets right we're going to do pretty well 
So, you know, and then maybe they do the reset. Who knows? I mean, to me, what's hard to predict is when the government wakes up. And I think ultimately, given the choice, given no better choice, they'll have to do the right thing and return to sound money. But what'll be interesting to see is just how bad it gets and how far it has to go before they do that. So, but it's it, it's obvious to me. Yeah, it's like you said, Katie, bar the door. door. It's going to be total game on for this stuff. And yet very, very few people realize that. And um, and a lot of people, I mean, even in our community, and I get it, a lot of people are like, yeah, 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 you've been saying that for 20 years. You know, yeah, 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 I thought that in 2000, and I bought into it, and it worked for a few years, and then I got my ass handed to me. It went from 1900 back to 1000 I mean, I get it. I mean, that thing, that whole, you know, when they did Operation Twist, and they lied, and they all went down and met with Obama, and Goldman Sachs came out with a short gold, and... You know the gold. The gold volume on the Comex and the and the LBMA was so large that the only people who could have sold that much gold were the central banks. And the central banks basically have have balance sheets that they don't fully report, and they can they have no P and L. They can take losses because they view themselves. I mean, it's it's like the National Security Group. I mean, they they view it as they can break the law because it's in the greater good right. to keep the whole system together. And so that's kind of what they did back then. And, you know, I, I get it. There's some possibility they could do similar things this time. But I think that I think that the people are going to overwhelm them. And in particular, because I think they're really the, the system is way out over its skis. And, you know, I've seen 100 to 300 you know ounce claims on each ounce of silver and gold that are out there. And as these paper games start to unwind and this thing gets through, I mean, we all know how this works. I mean, you know, it could be a runaway bull market in this shit. And, and I think it will be so. Oh, it just so that's why it, I'm, it just I'm, takes I'm that it just takes that stampede to start. You know, that's it, right. It just takes the stampede to start, and then we find out, like you say, where, where there's a hundred ounces of claims on every one ounce of silver. Well, that's you right. Know? Then and, we start finding well, the fucking dead bodies, and then you have, you know, exactly. And that's why. And that's by the way. I mean, I've seen gold people fight with Bitcoin people. I've seen Bitcoin people fight with gold people. And I emphasize this over and over and over again. We're all on the same fucking team, okay? We want fiat to fail. Right. I mean, and, and the way to get fiat to fail, it, because it has to and it should, and it's what allows the corruption and allows the contillion effect to make these bozos, you know, like Kevin O'Leary and other guys, you know, billions of dollars because they're able to get at the money, you know, the money thing first. And so to get fiat to fail, we need everything going against it we possibly can. And yeah, Bitcoin is Bitcoin is millennium gold. Great, you know I welcome I welcome Austrians to the whole, you know young Austrians to the whole fight and buy Bitcoin. I mean I like Bitcoin. I own Bitcoin. My fund owns Bitcoin. I mean coming from you know a longer time period back and because of its properties, I own a boatload more gold and I run a gold mining fund. But we've got some Bitcoin exposure and I I think it's a wonderful thing. And I hate it when these Bitcoiners say you know oh, gold's a relic. You know it's not going to help. Well, they've got. To, they can't forget that that relic has been fighting the battle for a long damn time. Yeah, and it's going to be here long after we're all gone. And so, you know, to me, to me, what <laughs> what Bitcoin, to me, what what gold is, is is you know, gold gold is obviously money, and it's it's your very conservative, you know, um, it's your very conservative holding, and Bitcoin is your more speculative growth right. stock. You know? No, I agree with and that. They, I agree with they that. 100%. Both, they both have value. Right? And I'm, I'm different, looking. Different I'm looking value. at your uh, portfolio stratification in the uh, in your fund uh, tear sheet yep. that you sent me, and uh, yep. it, it says gold 55 to 70 percent, silver 20 to 40 percent, and Bitcoin 5 to 15 percent. And I think that makes perfect sense. I think in terms of relative to my gold exposure, that's about what my Bitcoin 
crypto exposure is also too. Even though everybody will tell you I'm short, they'll tell you I hate it, they, they'll tell you I don't own it because I ask a lot of skeptical questions. Uh, there's a lot of people that, like you said, they don't know that gold is really the the OG. They don't really get it. Uh, it is cool right. that they're interested. Uh, and they also don't know how to vet a thesis properly. They've never okay. done, you know, deep dive due diligence on a, on a company or on an asset. And they don't know that, you know, trying to poke holes in an investment case is a is really the large part of making or securing an investment case for something. And so Well, that's right. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I was going to say and you know I, I think I mean, you know, you say whatever you will positive and negative about, you know, Michael said there are lots of there are lots of both in my view. But for him to make the argument that Colts just going to go away, I I just to me that's hysterical. Well, it's ludicrous. I mean, yeah, it's just it's completely ludicrous. I mean, it's First of all, most of that money, a lot of that wealth is controlled by the boomers. And I'm, I'm a boomer at 63. And I can tell you that the average boomer is very, very negative on Bitcoin, just very negative. So if they control all the wealth and they don't believe in Bitcoin, you know, now, now don't get me wrong. The boomers will pass and the millenniums will be running the show and they're much more positive on Bitcoin. So I, I can see the thesis that Bitcoin will become more relevant over time. But, you know, to think that gold is dead is just it's insane. It's I, completely I, I, I insane. I agree with that. I you think know? Bitcoin could definitely appreciate but I think yep. that I think that exactly what you're saying makes sense. That it takes a lot of arrogance to say, you know, especially in the in the, in the process of hawking a 13 year old asset that nobody knows how it's going to be categorized and isn't really tangible and doesn't really exist physically. Uh, you know, right. in, in the process of uh, going out there and trying to advocate for that, claiming that you know this metal, this precious metal, that due to its properties has been money and recognize this money for thousands of years that that rain has just ended you know that's just that's like waking up tomorrow and saying the fucking earth's not going to be there you know right, it's like right. it, it's just thousands and thousands and thousands of years i mean what's been around for thousands of years that that you're gonna yeah. that you're gonna just wake up tomorrow and say oh well this right. is this is the day that it ends this is the year that it ends like come on forget about it and that's yeah. that's the kind of hubris that bothers me about the Bitcoin crowd. Although I do think I totally agree. Fundamentally, totally they're agree. trying to address the right problem. Well, that's right. I mean, back to the fundamentals of sound money is a good thing. I mean, any kind of sound money, anything that can be restricted, not printed by the government, and and frankly, you know, smaller governments are a good thing. And I think that you know, it's very possible that you know, if if you starve the government and you take away all its money, and you know, we may have different government system going forward, but that may be okay. I mean, it's, you know, do we need these big centralized governments that gave us wars that killed 40 million people? I mean, maybe we don't. You know, maybe we can have much more smaller regional governments. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I'm like John Lennon. You know, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I mean, it, you know, I, I think that I think we will evolve to a better government system on a go forward basis um, as a result of the economic changes, you know, that we're seeing here. Um, that's that's my belief. And I. I am an optimist on, you know, on all things. And I think that, you know, I think it's, it's sad to me. Look at, look at how many developments we've had in the past 30 years and yet how in many ways the cost of living for the average person hasn't really gotten any better. I mean, shouldn't you, you know, think of, think of what the computer, think of what technology has done to improve productivity in the world in the last 30 years. And yet take the average working person, they're still kind of struggling to get by. I mean, why didn't they get any of the benefit of that? And I, I think it's because of the the non the non sound money basically skimmed all the excess profit off to the top, you know. And and we've got all these you know we've got billionaires and and um, you know it hasn't it hasn't filtered down the way it did in the system before we we broke the gold standard. So it's yeah. it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. And 
you know, it's, it's in, in, on the, on the positive side, it's a very exciting period of time because if you do understand this stuff and you take the time to understand it, read it and study it, you know, I think there are some, I think there's some non-asymmetric bets here that are, I mean, some, or, or some asymmetric bets here, I should say, that are just, they're just stunning. I mean, I, you know, the, this is this can be a really deeply changing event for a lot of people if you're on the right side of this trade. I mean, in a very, very short period of time, you could make a great deal of money. Now, having said that, one of, the things, one of the other things I want to make a point of, I think it's very important to say to anyone looking at this whole game is, <coughs> excuse me, avoid leverage. I mean, what just happened in Bitcoin, that was all driven by leverage at, at, at BitMEX. Um, you know, Leverage is dangerous. I mean, I see Michael Saylor on there talking about how you know lever you know lever yourself up and buy Bitcoin. What is he out of his fucking mind? I mean, Bitcoin went down eighty two percent in its you know in its last big yeah, correction. He is I mean, out of his if, mind, if, and that that's yeah, I mean, that's if, horrifically if, 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 irresponsible thing to do. I watched that video of him yesterday. Yeah, Mort mortgage I mean, if, your if, house, sell your car. It's like you know what? If your fucking shareholders are okay with you leveraging their entire corporate <clears throat> balance sheet and putting that in Bitcoin, that's one thing. But don't fucking tell people after the ass that has gone ape shit, okay, and is now at an all-time high of 55,000, 40,000, 45,000. Don't get on YouTube and do an interview for a bunch of unsophisticated investors that haven't done an ounce of due diligence in their life. They don't know fucking what a cash flow stream looks like. They don't know what equity is. Don't get on there and tell them leverage the house, sell the car, do whatever you can do to buy Bitcoin at 45,000. I mean, that that's just sick. That, that, I, I, that That's I, I, a I could, sick thing yeah. to do. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's just it's just deeply irresponsible because, you know, I mean, everyone said, well, you know, Jesus, you should have everything in Bitcoin. And I, like, I, I was kind of like, yeah, well, I mean, I, so I started buying, I bought my first two at 300 and I just kept buying them consistently, 1,000, 3,000, all the way up. I bought one at 18,000 in, in December or Thanksgiving of 2017. Remember that everyone was talking about it? And I was like, okay, it's working. I'm buying it. I bought it. Well, of course, next thing we knew, it went down to 3,500. Right. Well, you know, and I was buying a few on the way down. But when it got to 3,500, I looked at it, looked at the charts, and I said, you know what? And I doubled down. But, you know, if I had been 100% in Bitcoin, I wouldn't have been able to double down. Because right. I think I sold I think I think sold something else to double down on, you know, well, if this thing's going to work, and I think it will longer term, I want to own a little more than I own now. And if I paid 17 for some, I'm certainly going to buy more at 3,500. Yep. I mean, the whole the whole dollar cost averaging thing, I mean, that's a very important lesson that most investors don't really ever accept or learn. I mean, you know, I bought more gold at 1000 after it had been at 1900 I mean, you don't always, you know, it's so, and I see this in my fund all the time too, people always chase price and they always buy the always. top. Always. Always. I mean, I mean, look at ARC, look at Tesla. I mean, there's a classic example. I saw some millennial on, on the web and... The guy had made like $10 million. He'd put a couple hundred thousand dollars in Tesla way back at the beginning. And he had $10 million of Tesla stock. He was in his 30s. And he was absolutely convinced he was going to make another 10 times his money and be worth $100 million. bucks. And I said to him, I said, I'm 63 years old. I've seen a lot of this stuff. Please, please, please sell 20 or 30% of your position. Right. You'll thank me later. He argued with me for days back and forth. And I'm sure he didn't. And now his 10 is probably worth six. And you know, maybe he sold some by now. I don't know. But the point is, you know, you sell assets when they're rich and you buy them when they're on sale. And, yeah, well, you know, the, the a lot of people. The problem is just... most people don't know what that means. Well, that's true, too. They but... don't. I mean, if they watch something go from 500 to 5,000 and then they watch it go from 5,000 to 50,000, they think it's going to go from 50,000 to 500,000. There's no 
they don't, you know, most people don't understand the law of large numbers. Most people don't understand simple concepts like shares outstanding yes. of a company, what a market cap is, how evaluation right. works. I mean, most I've had, I can't tell you how many discussions I've had with people where I've argued with them on Twitter over, you know, some company that has rolled off the dung heap and has somehow ascertained a $5 billion valuation, you know, despite never turning a profit. And saying, you know, uh, most recently I'm thinking of one was an EV company called uh, Ideanomics. Where I was arguing with somebody like three or four quarters ago. And they were saying, oh, you know, the revenue's great. You know, $40 million in revenue, whatever. And the, co- the co- company had like a $500 million market cap or something. I'm like, they, they have an accumulated deficit of $125 million or whatever it was. They've never turned a profit. It doesn't look like they're ever going to turn a profit. What are you buying in that case, you know? And then you see this like aha moment. You know, it's like, what am I buying, you know? You're not buying anything. You're buying a, you're buying a cash furnace. You're buying a right. cash inferno. You're buying, you're buying an instrument that takes cash and destroys it. I mean, you, you'd be better <laughs> off buying nothing, you know? You'd, right. you'd be better off buying nothing a rock and just letting it sit at your house because at least yeah. it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a liability which is what a lot of these companies are but people don't they don't get that they don't understand equity valuation like you're saying yeah no it's 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 unfortunate that that the human mind is wired in a way that's backwards to what you know works for making money and and as you know i've got all my kids my kids are millennials and i'm trying to teach them to invest and of course they're making all the same basic mistakes and i'm but i'm trying to keep the numbers small <laughs> And, and I said, you know, the, and I made, by the way, I made all those mistakes too, when I was in my twenties and thirties. So it's not, oh, me too. you know, yeah. And, and so it's not, it's not like there's anything wrong with these people who are doing this. It's just like, you know, those of us who've done it for a while, I mean, investing is one of the few areas where you actually do get better over time. A lot of things in life, you know, physical stuff, I mean, athletic performance, I mean, there's no way to stop degre- you know, the degradation over time, at least with investing, you, you see in more and more cycles, you just get more and more confident in your judgments because you've seen it before and it's pattern recognition, right? I mean, I, this past summer to me or, or right now to me feels so much like the summer of 2000. I was running a venture capital fund. We, my partner and I looked at each other. We had all these public dot-com stocks that we bought much cheaper. We were selling them as fast as we could. Some we couldn't sell fast enough. We we're looking at each other. I said, are we the only two guys in the world that think it's a company is worth its future discounted cash flows? Because this market is fucking insane. And, you know, we, but we, but honestly, we kind of thought that in 1998, 1999 as well. Right. And for all we knew, it was going to go another two years higher. And there were a lot of people buying it. We had some guys came to us, gave us a ton of money and said, buy a much more dot com stocks. And we looked at each other and we said, no, we're not doing it. We're just not doing it. And we actually, we actually unwound that business. And I, that's how I got into the business I'm in now because, you know, you could just see what a bubble it was. And, you know, I, I see I see the exact same things. I mean, sure, the names have changed. You know, Tesla wasn't around. I mean, back back then it was Pets.com, right? But, you know, or, I mean, lots of other things, Cisco and Microsoft and, you know, Sun Micro. I mean, even, <laughs> do you, were you around back then? You remember Scott McNeely saying, you know, there's no way I can justify my stock price at Sun Micro. It was a great story. I mean, just he came out, he was a CEO of a company. He came out right. and he said, he said, I cannot tell you to buy this stock. Right. It does not make sense. Well, give more credit to him. Right, exactly. More credit to I mean, him. I mean, I mean that's I what you're like, fucking geez, supposed to do as a CEO. Or go to the market exactly. and sell stock. You know? Yeah, I he mean, was that... an honest guy. He just said, look, I don't know what the market's doing, but I can tell you it's not worth this much. Mm-hmm. I can tell you what we're going to do as a company. We're going to grow and make money, but but our stock is not worth this much. He's right. That, you know, that, and he that's the honest. kind of guy I invest in, too. 
You know what I mean? Exactly. When that stock yeah. pulls back to a reasonable valuation, that's the guy I want as a steward of my capital. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So he was he was doing what he's supposed to be doing, which is being a fiduciary. Which is what but, nobody I mean, does anymore. He, right. Nobody's a fiduciary anymore. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's completely ridiculous. But look, that is what it is, and these patterns will be repeated. And I, you know, to those who are tired of the correction that's been taking place in silver and gold since last August. Feels to me like we're coming out of it. Feels to me like we're getting to that 10% tipping point. I think the next two years are going to be pretty good for sound money people that are in silver and gold and silver and gold equities, by the way. I mean, the leverage, that's the other thing I should point out because I run a fund that does that. The leverage in these equities is unbelievable. I mean, I've got companies trading at three times cash flow, and that's at today's metal price cash flow, and they have often pretty fixed operating costs. Not totally, they'll flex up with gold or with the oil prices, but. So, you know, you take the price of the metal up 30%. Well, in many cases, their, their profit will actually double right. because, you know, that because of the margins. And so, you know, you get a profit doubling on a three times cash flow story and it's getting better known. And, and by the way, the three times cash flow is the low end of the range. I mean, that's been as high as seven to 10 in a bull market. So, you know, you're going to get a two to three X on just a, a multiple expansion. Then you take the profits and you double it. So, you know, I mean, honestly, I've got, I mean, I call them, I think I've got a lot of five and 10 baggers sitting in my portfolio. And, you know, as anyone who's looked at stocks and stock investing knows, I mean, you, you get some five and 10 baggers and, you know, now you're starting to talk some real money here. Yeah. Now, you know, it's mining. And that's the one thing I would caution is that, you know, some of these companies suck and, and, and they do blow up and they do go to zero. So you've got to have the potential five to 10 bagger to justify you know, taking the risk. And then I would also suggest that, you know, you follow me or other smart people on Twitter. So you try and pick the better names because there's hundreds of mining companies out there and some of them are pretty shitty, but you know, I try not to own those. Occasionally you know, I do own them in, inadvertently. <laughs> well, you just talked about, um, you just talked about asymmetric bets. That yes, exactly. So what are some of those asymmetric bets? And what's the easiest way for somebody that doesn't want to, you know, go through all the, I see your benchmarks here that you, compare your fund against in your tear sheet are the GDX and the GDXJ. So, I mean, it, it, is the purpose of that because you guys are, uh, you think you're better pickers, you're better mining? I think we're better pickers. I mean, that's certainly, that's certainly what the results there say. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, my fund's got a hundred thousand dollar minimum. So because of the SEC and all the friggin' rules they put all over me, which is, you know, that in and of itself is sick, right? I mean, that was all designed by Fidelity and others to, you know, funnel the money into them. But, um, you know, you, you got to do your own research. I mean, look, the area is going to be good enough, in my view, that even just buying GTXJ is going to work or or the silver, um, the silver stock ETFs, you know, and and then within that, there's some that are better than others, like um, GoAU, GOAU, I think it's a better managed gold stock picking fund than, than GDXJ. GDXJ just buys everything, including some of the real crap. Um, but then you can also just do simple stuff like, you know, screen for relative performance. I mean, and it's not hard. And, and you can see, you know, in, in the mining area, one thing that is true is that the good companies tend to continue to be good companies and the shitty companies tend to continue being shitty companies. And it goes against people's grain because people, oh, I want to buy something that's cheap. Well, no, you're, you're getting what you pay for in the mining business. So you're much better off to overpay for a good situation and it'll continue to be good and the multiple will expand. So, you know, you, you got to be careful. I mean, there's no doubt about it, but um, you know, if the macro tailwind is as big as you and I imagine, 
you know, I mean, I think gold could go to 10,000. If that happens, I mean, you're going to make money in every single one of these stocks. You're going to make more in the better ones. If gold goes to 10,000, the the GDX, which right now is at 39, will probably wind up like over 500. I mean, I I think that's right. I I mean, probably even more than that. I mean, I think that's right. So that would would be a 5x in gold. Right. I mean, you, you could, you might see a, you might see a 30x. And then because That's what, what, right. what you're I mean, trying to explain before and what, what I'm what I should break down to my listeners is, you know, there's a certain amount of fixed costs with gold mining. And so you're right. paying X amount to get gold out of the ground. And when right. the when the value of the gold that you're pulling out of the ground increases and your fixed cost stays the same, that's all icing on top of the cake. So if you, if exactly. you spend a dollar to pull out, you know, ten dollars worth of gold, but then gold 10x is in price. So for every dollar you're pulling out $100 worth of gold now, that's all icing on the top of the fucking cake, man. That's, you know, that's that, right. That's I mean, let, me, let me give you the, let, let me put the specific numbers that the average cost for the average mining company to pull an ounce of gold out of the ground is a thousand bucks. So when the miners, when, when we were at 1300 a few years ago, you're making 300 bucks on a thousand dollars of cost, 30% margin. Okay. Now you're at $1,800. So you're making 800 bucks. Well, that's good. You're, you know, it's better than 300, right? But, you know, take that up to 2,500 gold, okay? Well, you've added another 700. So now you're making 1,500, you know, $1,500 for every ounce you're pulling out of the ground. Now, to be fair, there will be some cost inflation because we're getting into an inflationary environment, and the $1,000 an ounce to pull it out, and that's a combination of oil, electricity, labor, and, you know, parts. Um, so, you know, the 1,000 will creep up. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, if the 1000 goes up 10% a year and the price of gold goes up 100% a year, you can see what's happening. The margins just get insane. Yeah, and then, and then you start, then you add, you add the $400 trillion chasing the $6 trillion and everybody looking at, you know, suddenly the gold stocks start to trade the way Tesla did, and everybody starts chasing it. And, yeah, I mean, I, I fully expect, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to brag here. I'm just giving you an example. <laughs> if, this, if this thing goes as wild as it could go, I mean, I fully expect my, my fund could do a 5X. I mean, I, you know, and maybe more, but. I mean, right, Kathy it, Wood. It, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. I am <laughs> Kathy Wood, exactly. It actually could kind of go infinite because ultimately the, the friggin' currency could be worthless. And then, you know, that's a whole different matter. But the point is, in terms of relative cash flows, you know, and multiples of those cash flows, there is, there is no more, in my opinion, there is no more asymmetric bet in the markets right now. I mean, you just, I mean, I've, like I said, I've got companies trading three times cash flow. So that's a 33% earnings yield. I mean, that's that's insane in a zero interest rate environment. It's just insane. There's no more profitable business in the world right now than gold mining. None, zero. And it could get better. I mean, it, it you know, so so I, I think people are really misunderstanding as misestimating the optionality here and the asymmetry here. Um, and, and I'm, I am, I am now pounding the table to new investors to get involved in this. Some people look at my phone and say, well, you've been up a lot. I'm, I'm too late. I don't want to chase it. No, there will be a time when you could be too late and I won't be pounding the table quite as hard with my stuff selling at 10 times cash flow. But when you've got three times cash flow, you got three ways to make money. The price of the gold goes up. Okay. That'll make you more earnings. The multiple expands from three times to nine times, so that gives you three extra money. And then finally, some of the good companies are able to actually increase their production. So, you know, they, they produce 100,000 ounces this year. Well, they're doing, you know, capacity expansions. They'll be producing 200,000 ounces in three years. So, you know, you doubled your profit there. 
you doubled your profit uh, or you, you multiplied the value on the multiple expansion. And then if the price of gold goes up, you get a kick from that. I mean, one of the things, if you go back and you study the historic gold markets, and it's in my quarterly newsletters, which are on my website, ema2.com, you can see the, the typical gold stock bull market gives you between 6 and 10x your money. Right. I mean, you know, that's it's and, and quickly, quickly, not not over some long period of time, generally because gold gold bulls are very compressed. They're compressed and they're violent. You know, and then when it's over, it's over, by the way. I mean, at some point, they'll set the monetary standard to gold, and that'll be it, and we'll move on to some other trade. But we're not there yet. We're not even close to being there yet. So, you know, and it's not too late. I mean, you missed the first two innings. But, you know, and it could go extra innings. I mean, we don't know. But it's it's a good game. I mean, it's going to work. At least that's my view. So Yeah, it's, an, got, it's a nine-inning game, in and you can do it with the asset that the central banks are holding in reserve. And when I gave my presentation in May of 2018 – which was really, you know, my aha moment on gold kind of come to come to life in that presentation that I that I did. You know, it had been a couple of years. I had really, you know, I was just still just learning about macro. I'm still just learning now. But that was really like the aha moment. And what was it for me that, you know, I was making the slides for that presentation and I'm watching myself right on the slide. Central banks hold it in reserve. And I'm thinking yeah. like what the fuck else does everybody need to know? Like we, you know, yeah. like they're yeah. not, they're not holding soybeans. And this is the other thing too. I love well, people always, the people used to use seashells too. I like it when your Michael yeah, right. come out and oh, say yeah. shit like that, you know? Well, people were yeah. trading conch shells back in the day. It's like, listen, dickhead, the fucking federal reserve <laughs> is not sitting around with a safe full of fucking conch shells. Okay. They're yeah. holding gold. China's buying gold. Russia's buying gold for a yeah. reason, you know? And then you see these yeah. guys like fucking Silbert, I was watching Silbert versus Peter Schiff the other day. Great debate, by the way, from 2019 at the SALT conference. If you want to watch Peter Schiff versus, I think his name's Glenn Silbert, whatever the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust guy is. If you can watch okay. that if you can watch that interview and not pick on stage who the huckster is between Schiff <laughs> and this guy, you, you know, you need a lobotomy. Because this dude Silbert's right. up there and he's going, he's going, well, where's the demand going to come from, Peter? Where's it going to come from? Dentistry? You know, and it's like yeah, yeah. that's that's to the extent to which people, even critics of the current Fed policy, which I'm guessing this guy is, that's the extent that these people are informed. Dentistry, you know, like China yeah. isn't just hoarding gold. Like people in India haven't been just hoarding gold yeah, for you, hundreds of years. Like and that's yeah, all that's you need thing. to know. Yeah, you you got six billion people who are hardwired to understand that this is sound money. Period. And yeah, and you've got it in every nook and cranny of the central banks and everybody else. And and we need a neutral, you know, reserve currency. And you know, it, it fits. It just it fits perfectly. And it, it will return, but you know, we got to get to the ten percent first. And you know, it's like I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> so you know, I, I wish it would happen tomorrow, but it's it's coming. You can feel it coming. Well, and and the timing is one of the big questions, right? When I right when I talk to right. Schiff all the time, he's always saying, you know, it's right around the corner, it's right around the corner, and I stop yeah. I stop short of that. I, I you know I say that I think it's a mathematical, uh, you know, I think it's unavoidable mathematically. I think it's a, a mathematical certainty that it happens, but the question of when, because we've never done this before. How right. how far can we kick the can down the road? How gross can things get in the country before we have that moment where we have to say, okay, 
we're breaking from the system we're on. And I think, you know, it could be decades, could be a half century, it could be a while away. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of tend to, I mean, you may be right, and I, I, I hope not, but you may be right. It could be decades or half century. I kind of tend to think not. I mean, I, if you look at the patterns of the you know last few hundred years and you look at the other monetary systems that have broken up and you look at, you look at the, the, the slope of the curve, you know, the second derivative, it, it feels to me like, I mean, you know, look, I think there's a lot of debate whether it's this year or in, you know, um, 2030. I mean, the next, you know, the next nine years, uh, you know, I, I think it could be anywhere within that window. I think the odds that it's beyond that window, I think they're pretty slim based on the curves and the second derivative as I see it. Now, like, I could be wrong. I've been wrong plenty of times, but it feels to me like it's coming, you know, and I, I think it's probably coming in the next couple of years and because as you see, you know, the it, it, things are happening faster, right? I mean, it's, and, and right now, they, right now they've got a really big problem with these deficits and, and the fact that nobody's buying these T-bonds and the Fed's having to monetize them all. And, and they really can't pull back. I mean, if they pull back, you know, we get, you know, we get the, the repo spike or we get yeah, the they lose the bond market. It's over. Right. They lose the bond market and you know, nobody can afford higher interest rates. I mean, you know, I mean, if we did a Volcker like solution, if we took interest rates to 5%, this entire country would go bankrupt. 5% I mean, yeah. would be a global financial crisis, the likes of which we've never seen before. Due to the exactly. amount of 5% would bring, just think about that too. Somebody was just talking the other day. I forgot. I was talking about it on my podcast, but somebody was just talking the other day. Saying, oh, you know, normalizing around 5%. I forget who it was. Maybe it was like El Arian or one of these guys, whatever, you know, yeah. about, you know, in the coming days when we normalize around 5%, 5% would bring the entire system to its knees overnight. Yes, exactly. Exactly. There's nobody, there's nobody who can afford it. I mean, that would be, it would be a complete and utter market catastrophe. And that's the thing that's so funny is that these people talk like that's still a possibility. When anybody with a calculator doing the math can prove that it's impossible, it's just absolutely impossible, you know. Um, so you know they've they've you know another analogy I use. I mean the Fed has flown into a box canyon and they're not going right. to be able to do a t tight enough U-turn to get out of it. I mean we're going to hit the wall here at some point. We really are, and it's sad. I mean it's I don't wish the pain that'll come on some people on anybody, but you know I'm not flying the plane. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? You know, and this yeah, is, I mean, this these, is... and these idiots who did it. I mean, that's the one thing I do hope that you know they're, they're going mean, to. There's one thing I do can get concerned about from time to time. That they're going to try and figure out some way to blame the sound money people for their system blowing up, right? Like we would have made it. One hundred percent. One hundred. We, we, we would have made it. We would have been fine. But you gold assholes, you know, you came in here and you know you messed the whole damn thing up. One hundred percent. Because there's and, nothing. And there's hope... nothing better than dicking the whole country, and then when the right. check comes due, turning it around and blaming it on the people that were right all along. And if, exactly. and, if and if you would be surprised if the people in power do that, you haven't been paying attention very long. Exactly. And but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think. I think when a currency fails, it's pretty obvious to the people that the government did it to them. I, I don't think there's anywhere they can hide. I really don't. I think that, you know, they, they may try that, but I, I don't see how it works. I mean, if your currencies become worthless, I mean, why did that happen? Because of the gold guys? I don't think so. No, the gold guys were just the smart people who figured out how to avoid it. You know, now you can say, well, it wasn't fair. We should tax the shit out of gold. That's a different argument. 
But, you know, in terms of blaming the gold guys and having that stick, I don't see it. You know, I, I think this one's going to fall squarely on the Fed, the government, the politicians, all of them. And everybody's going to say, you know, it really sucks, but we will have a better life without this big government structure. You know, we're going to go to regional governments. We're going to go to term limits. You know, our grandkids are not going to trust, you know, these idiots in this system as it's currently, you know, constructed. Because, you know, look at what it did to us. It ruined us, you know, and, and, and the ruin was pretty damn bad for a lot of people. And you say, and you say the no. history books are going to look back at these guys unkindly. I mean, think of what it's going to look like. Say the whole thing goes tits up tomorrow, right? Think about, right. think about what it'll look like two or three years after that, looking back at Neil Kashkari on 60 Minutes, saying, oh, yeah. saying we've got infinite money. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's just right. people will be, oh, gonna be, people so, will be beside be so themselves fab- that nobody noticed. There are going to be so many fabulous, fabulous moments. I mean – you know, the Bernanke helicopter money speech will be replayed over and over and over again, right? I mean, it's just, you know, what the hell were these people thinking? You know, that we could print unlimited money and that that would lead to prosperity. I mean, a a goddamn fifth grader can understand that, right? I mean, and yet, you know, we did. And a lot of people got bamboozled. Yeah. You know, When you understand (laughs) that the government doesn't produce anything... Right? Well, that's that, right. That, that the government can't produce anything. The government can't generate productivity. All it can do right. is, you know, shuffle, reshuffle resources, take them away right. from the free market, and you know where ostensibly they would be allocated in the most efficient fashion, and and redistribute them elsewhere. And that's you know yeah. a great example of that is like the EV market now. You know, the government right. has put into place all these subsidies. So what is it doing? It's it's fundamentally changing the auto market. Uh, in a way that it may not have changed, uh, you know, as quickly. You know, it's probably on the path, but it wouldn't have shifted. The, and people say, oh, that's a good thing because it helps the environment. Yeah, but try try working at one of these places. Try being a corporate executive that has to manage, you know, a, a capital-intensive business where you're barely generating any cash and then being told you fundamentally have to restructure your business model because the government is incentivizing one business model over the other. And then you're like, oh, right. okay. Then you understand why it becomes burdensome and there's layoffs because of that and people get their salaries cut and people get less benefits because of that. So, you know, what people don't understand is the government – is not a car company. The government is not a aeronautics company. The government is not a postal service company, you know, which is why the post office loses all this money and is constantly joked about. The government is not a, a great administrative body, which is why the DMV sucks. You know, they're not they're not any type of business entity. All they are is a uh, funnel for fucking taking resources and capital and and moving that in other directions and that's what the money printer does too. You know, if me yeah, and you each if me and you each have $5, we're equal. And then if the Fed prints 10 and gives you 8 and gives me 2, then all of a sudden, you know, the scales are out of balance. And that's exactly how the printing of money works to uh, you know, shift the allocation no, of, of resources I mean, I, too. Yeah, I mean I'm sure you're very much a libertarian as I know I am. I supported Ron Paul and so forth. And my belief is that you know, the, the government, the, the role of the government, there really is just one big role, in my opinion, of the government, and that should be, you know, kind of the courts and equities and fairness, you know, just kind of law and order. You know, they should, I mean, we're all playing a big economic game. We're all trying to support our families and, and live decent lives. And they should just make the rules fair and enforce the rules. That's it. There's not much else for them to do. You know, redistribute wealth, 
you know, um, I mean, you know, one could argue within that there's a role for protecting the environment and so on and so forth, other things. But in general, you know, they should look out for the common good in terms of the rules. Yeah, and, we'll take you know, care and, of the roads. You yeah, know, people say, oh, right, how, yeah. how could you do that? I'll tell you how you do it. You take the same fucking 10 guys that are standing outside my place right now smoking cigarettes, staring at the pothole in the street, and you take them <laughs> off the fucking government dole, which is paying them regardless of whether or not they fill that pothole. I'm not making this up. This is actually happening right outside my fucking condo. I mean, you take those same guys with the know-how on how to fix the problem, and you put them, you take them from a place where the government's giving them money no matter what happens, and you put them, you enable them to have a private business where their business is profitably filling holes in the street, and you watch how much quicker it gets done and how much better it gets done and how much more work they do you know you incentivize them with the profit motive you know and that's that's how you get things done so it's like you don't need the government to do it people say like oh what would happen to air traffic control it's like you take the same fucking people that are working for the government right now and you just put them into private businesses and you let them bid for air trouble wouldn't safety wouldn't safety be compromised no because the first time somebody fucks up Nobody's going to want them to run the shit anymore. So, you know, competitive forces, competitive <laughs> right. forces will keep companies, you know, will keep their costs low, will keep their efficiency high, will, will you know, uh, keep them wanting to right. be safe. I, uh, you know, people, they just, they don't get it. Sang Lucci, my buddy here, Larry, I just want to tell you this, just put out a tweet a couple hours ago, said 800,000 accounts liquidated yesterday on the crypto flush. 800,000. Oh Think about that. That's how markets yeah. should work. If you offer right. this kind of leverage, U.S. equities, no, no, because you got the government to save you. Isn't that a good point? Yeah, right. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, you know, it, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, just leverage. I mean, you know, leverage is very dangerous. And, um, you know, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was quite it was really quite stunning what happened, <laughs> I have to say. But, um, you know, look, I mean. There's there's there are lots of stories of people who've saved in gold and silver and done incredibly well. I'm sure, you know, we're gonna have to wrap up here because I'm running out of time. But I'm sure you've seen or heard of the one. There was a, was a guy in California, who who fought in World War II, and he came back home and he was a machinist, you know, for the air aerospace company. So he did pretty well. He was a skilled blue collar guy and he made decent money. Had a small ranch house, raised a few kids, etc. Wife passed away. Um, and one day he died, and his kids went into the garage, and he had all his ammo ammo um, cases, and he'd been, he'd been filling them up with gold coins since they started buying in 1945, okay, at, th- at $35 a coin, because that was the set price, right? Turns out he had like $12 million worth of gold coins in there, right? The guy had never, he'd probably never made more than the average blue-collar salary, but he'd lived a modest life, and he'd saved his money in gold, and he'd put it in... He put it into the ammo boxes and he stuffed it away in the garage. He never told anybody, and his kids found it. And um, you know, there's a there's a certain beautiful simplicity to all that. You know, sound money, it endures, it endures through time. And um, and that's what that's what should happen to people who save money. You know, it should hold its value, so that they're able to retire in, in comfort or pass something on to their kids. And of course, you know, all that's been lost because of you know, the, the, the chase money, get fast, get rich quick bullshit that, you know, now passes for investing on CNBC. You know, it's um, it's ridiculous. And when but, and when people make the bull case like this guy on Kitco I was listening to yesterday 
when people make the bull case now for equities, it is it's a you know paradigm shift. Uh, the tech <laughs> technology is taking off exponentially in a way that's going to yeah. rewrite you know how equities are valued. We're in a new oh, we're in a new stage of the game now, Larry. Yeah. Where you know this is just going to be the norm. The Schiller. Period. You've been you've been you've been listening you've been listening to Kathy Wood again. <laughs> well, she's one of the people pushing this, but there was another guy pushing yeah. this yesterday too on the, on this interview. It's like, well, you know, the, yeah. this time it's different, right? And that, oh yeah, that is the constantly ridiculed adage on Wall Street that right. everybody laughs at. This time it's different, and that's what the bull case is now. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and, you know, there are some of us who understand that not to be the case and hopefully there'll be more of us over time. And I think that I, I do think that, you know, the bright side of all of this is that it's coming to a head and, you know, there, there is, there is a better system coming. I mean, I've got kids and I hopefully I'll have grandkids one day and I'm, I'm really looking forward to them living in a, in a better system than the one we've got right now, because I think the one we've got right now is really sadly broken and hurts a lot of people and i think it's it doesn't need to be that way there's so many great technological innovations that have made this world a better place and you know i think everybody should share in the benefit of those and and not everybody has you know so that's too a, bad it's a great spot to end it larry thank you so much for uh um, coming most on welcome. really enjoyed it happy to talk with you anytime yeah apologize let's do it again for, in a couple of months for all the swear words but you, somehow you seem to inspire me i <laughs> i really I like the way you call it as you see it, which is rare in this game. Well, so it's, a lot, it's a lot of fun talking with you. It's easy so. when you just don't care, you know. I, I, I know <laughs> what I think boat. I know. I'm, I'm fine with admitting what I don't know, you know. Right. I, uh, no, it's good stuff. It's good It's good stuff. I mean, if you, if you can't, you know, if you don't have yourself, who have you got, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you gotta call, you got to call them as you see them. And, and you do, and, and you're to be applauded for that. So I really enjoyed it. Thanks, man. Come back in a couple months, okay. all right? Okay, we'll do. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. That was the one, the only, Lawrence Lepard. Started calling him Lawrence at the beginning, but I've been calling him Larry by the end. So how about that? Maybe we maybe we uh, made some uh, deep spiritual connection over the course of that hour. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, the guy's just fucking dialed in. I don't know what to tell you. Um, and he didn't hawk any of his shit, so I'm going to do it. His uh, fund is called the EMA GARP Fund. Um, you know, make sure that... Uh, this is not an offer to sell uh, or, you know, any securities or whatever. Whatever. His fucking name's Larry Lapard. Look him up. You'll find him. He's out there. His shit's on the internet somewhere. His fund's called the EMA Garp Fund, if you want to look it up. His tear sheet's very interesting here. Um, kind of lays out his uh, allocations and where his mining buckets are and the different types of companies that he's uh, interested in. But very interesting guy. And, you know, guys like Larry, I mean, either they get it or, or we're all dead wrong. But, uh... You know, the interesting thing about speaking your mind is you run into like-minded people, like he was just saying. I mean, there's some people, a lot of people think I'm an idiot, you know, that's fine. There's, But there's going to be some people out there just think you're fucking dialed in, you know, and I heard Larry on, on this other podcast and I thought he was dialed in, so I was stoked to have him on and we'll be stoked to have him back on again. All right, fools, it's been real, it's been lovely, but for right now, I am out of here. Peace.